Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. We're in the middle of a, I guess, a mid-season break. This isn't an interlull, really, even though we have one player away on international duty. But for everybody else, generally speaking, it's a break. Not an interlull, and maybe a timely break as well, where we get a chance to to just take stock, sit back, catch our breath, and then work ourselves into a frenzy before the end of the transfer window. These next few days will decide whether or not Edu can ever go out in public again. Yeah, well, maybe that's overstating it just a touch, but if I were him, I'd keep a low profile if nobody arrived between now and Monday night. It's not going to be Dusan Vlavic. Is it going to be Alexander Isaac? I doubt it. Is it going to be, I don't know who it's going to be, Bruno Guimaraes, Douglas Louise, Steve? I mean, I bet that's it. I bet that's exactly what happens. We'll spend all weekend, rumor after rumor after rumor will emerge. The various Twitter ITKs, Arsenal Twitter's unique assortment of animals who know stuff. We'll have an exclusive from the Arsenal Wombat. The Arsenal Pangolin will post a rebuttal and people will divide themselves into Wombat versus Pangolin tribes, believing what they want to believe about this transfer market. And all the while, we all know that it's the Arsenal Spider Crab that's got the insight into what's really happening, which is, of course, the arrival of Steve on Monday night at 10.59. It's all shaping up to be a very interesting weekend, that is for sure. There is obviously still plenty to talk about because uh, for all the jokes about the transfer market, it does feel a bit like our season in terms of where we want to be depends on what we get done or don't get done in this window. So that is something that we are going to talk about uh, today on the show. Potential arrivals. Will it be a striker? Will it be a midfielder? What did Mikel Arteta's trip to Denver to talk to Stan Kroenke tell us about what's going to happen this month? Something, nothing, a lot, a little, who knows? But we might as well crack on with the show today. And with me to discuss that and much more is Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Let's talk about Arsenal being in Dubai. A decent idea, I think, to go away for some warm weather training, get everyone together. And we can talk about what they might or might not do on the training ground from a tactical perspective. But it just seems like a really good moment to get people together and have a kind of hit the reset button a little bit, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone needs that at the moment. I think maybe even the supporters could yeah, do yeah, with I could the break. Do with that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think as well because 
I mean, we talk about the festive schedule being very punishing, and it usually is, although over the last few years, I've kind of looked at it and thought, mm, it doesn't actually look that different from mm. normal. It just looks like three games a week. Um, but this year, I think with everything that's happened around COVID and <clears throat> a lot of teams are very, very stretched at the moment. If you look at last weekend, you know, when we played Burnley, you know, United, look, Man United, they had a hard game, right, at home to West Ham, but they yeah. won that in the last minute. City didn't win. Um, you know, you had Chelsea Spurs, which was a bit of a non-event. Like Liverpool, also not fantastic. Like I think you could tell a lot of teams were running on fumes um, because a lot of them have been playing with like 14, 15 players, not able to make substitutions, not able to rotate the team. And and that for me was the story of the Burnley game, really. I don't think the Burnley game would have gone that differently had we had everyone available for the first 70 minutes. Yeah. Like, it always had the feel of this is either going to be nil-nil or one-nil. And, you know, you look at when we played Watford in, I believe, November, we beat them one-nil. And it wasn't great and it wasn't amazing, but they play a bit like Burnley do. We got a deflected goal. We won one-nil. We got the hell out of there. And um, for me, the story of the Burnley game was not being able to freshen that team up from the bench once we'd built a bit mm. of rhythm and momentum. So this was really, really needed. And I think it's really needed from... A tactical standpoint from a basic R&R, rest and recuperation perspective. But also, I think we all know that stuff needs to be done yeah. in the next few days of the transfer window. And, you know, look, the, the guys who are doing that work aren't really on the coaching and technical staff, I don't think. But for, for better and for worse, I think it just focuses the attention on that now. And you haven't got games in the way. We haven't got... Um, you know, things that can happen in the last day of the window, like, oh, no, we've got a player injured. We've got to bring someone in now. Um, or a little bit like when we brought the signing of Nacho Monreal forward yeah, because yeah, yeah. Andre Santos had an absolute shocker in an FA Cup fourth round game. and they Probably just had went, gout or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and they thought, God, we can't continue like this. We've got to do something yeah. on the last day of the window. So there's none of that. Everyone knows, I think, what's needed, What what's... what's um, what's absolutely definitely needed and what's like nice to have. Mm. Everyone kind of knows that. So, yeah. And, and I think even having like the players and everything away in Dubai probably allows, hopefully, um, you know, people like Edu and, and Richard Garlic to do what's needed to be done. And obviously we know uh, mm. that Arteta's flown out to see Stan Kroenke. So we know work is happening um, on the squad that really needs to happen. And I think it... We'll come on to this, I'm sure. Yeah, we if will. we could get that striker in, that would just provide such a big boost to everybody, players included, and we could mm. come into that Wolves game, you know, feeling like a bit like a new team. Yeah. Um, we will obviously talk about transfers because there's well, four days left in the window. Um, deadline is on Monday night. So there's, yeah, there's plenty to talk, talk about in that regard. But I just wonder, do you think that the... The relative youth of the team makes this break important too because there aren't too many senior players uh, in, in the team or in the squad really and like a couple of the senior players have been out of the squad for silliness, daft, on-pitch decisions and, and what have you. And I know you have a thing about like don't talk about the the players being young. They're either good players or not good players. Mm. But at the same time, we have asked a lot of Smith Rowe, of Saka, of Martinelli, even Ben White, you know, who's come in and played basically 
every single minute. Gabrielle, you know, these guys have come in. Tommy Asu, who's, who's got a bit of an injury. For, for them to sort of take stock as well and just sort of recuperate, recharge, get the rub downs, get the massages, get their muscles back, and, you know, pick up some vitamin D out there in Dubai and all the rest of it. I do wonder if, in particular for this relatively young squad, this is this is beneficial too. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, I think I'm grabbed by a, a phrase that um, Arteta used after a recent game where he, he talked about the squad being young, but in terms of their life together. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of them haven't played together a lot. So that, you know, just getting away together a little bit. I think also now for, for the first time I can remember like we know exactly how many games are left. There are no cup competitions anymore. It's sprint finish. Yeah. And so we know what's what's ahead. And I think that clarity as well can provide, um, can, can give them something a little bit extra, particularly because I'm sure they're going to look ahead, right? And they might look at what's happened in previous games and make a tactical nip and tuck here and there. But I'm sure it's going to be, look, this is what's ahead of us now. These are the challenges that we're likely to face. And and I, I definitely think there's a lot of value for camaraderie purposes in them kind of going away and going, right, we've got, I can't remember exactly how many games it is left. but 17, fine, I think, in the yeah, league. Yeah, yeah. We've got like a finite number of games left. Mm. We know exactly who we're playing and what we're doing, albeit some of the games haven't been scheduled yet. But you know, there's. I think there is for for Arteta as well, who is also don't forget a young manager. Um, still, even though if it doesn't feel like it with the amount of time he's been here, I think that clarity can really provide something. And I think you know we're talking about if we can't get a striker in, for example, we're going to have to try some internal solutions. So you made reference there to the lack of experienced players. Well, the one kind of experienced player we've got in Lacazette. We know that he struggles physically. And one of the things that this period has exposed is that we can't ask him to back up 90 minutes against 90 minutes. He was never able to do that. And he's not going to be any more able to do it now. And that's kind of a shame that one of our, probably our, Mm. you know, experienced player, he can't play every game. He just can't. He's not in, uh, you know, it sounds harsh, but he's not in good enough shape to do it. Never has been. So that's that's kind of a bit of a, a loss there. And so if we're thinking about doing stuff like, well, let's try Martinelli up front, mm. this gives us a chance, a bit of breathing space to just maybe try that in a friendly. Like we're, I think we're playing Reading behind closed doors. Play Martinelli up front yeah. in that friendly. Just, you know, try it out. See see what some of the combinations are like. There are some players as well who, who haven't quite been hitting the heights. One I've written about today, Kieran Tierney. You know, how, how do we cement that relationship between him and Martinelli um, as well. If, if Martinelli is going to play on the left, like things like that, how do we get, we've had to rely on Lukonga a lot this season. How do we get his partnerships, his networks with Xhaka and party a little bit more firmed up? How do we get that Tomiyasu Saka? You know, that, that is Arsenal's right side and will be fingers crossed for the next few seasons. Now let's, let's look at that. Let's work mm. on that and get some of these partnerships going a little bit more in the team. And, and I'm sure that that's the kind of thing they'll focus on. We talk about a small pool of players, which I think is true of Arsenal this season, perhaps more than any other season, that that there seems to be a definite like first 14, 15 players, which is advantageous in some ways. But in other ways, I think, you know, when you talk about Saka on the right-hand side, it just strikes me that to get the best out of him, 
in these 17, 18 games that we have got left in the Premier League that we are going to have to try and ease some of the burden on him, even if the schedule itself is 17 games in 14 weeks, whatever it is. It's not like a game every three days between now and May. So it's it's not quite as intense as people might think. But Nicolas Pepe, who's been away and done quite well at AFCON and who didn't really play a great deal in the first half of the season, when he returns, how important do you think it is that he is integrated and I don't mean that he has to like come in and take Saka's place straight away because he did well at AFCON but there are games that he could start where Saka could sit down on the bench and come on and give you an option after 20 minutes like finding that balance between what someone like Saka gives you and did give us over that festive period with with the goals that he scored you know Man City and all the rest of it four games in a row whatever it was you know he can't do that without some management of his physical being, if you know what I mean. Mm. So Pepe's return from AFCON, probably very disappointed to go out when he did because he's playing some football for once this season and it must be heartbreaking to go out on penalties, all the rest of it. But but as part of the squad, at least until this summer, it seems to me like he is somebody that we should be focusing on a little bit uh, to get in the t- into the team. 100%. I mean, I think you've come close to describing him like a new signing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but absolutely. And I think, I mean, look, Arsenal have had problems scoring goals and creating chances. And probably Martinelli aside, we don't have many players who create their own chances. But Pepe is one of them. Mm. Frustrating as he is. And I do wish he'd run in behind once in a while. And I do wish he'd do something different than standing on the touchline, waiting for the ball to come to him. So he then has to beat three players. But... He can finish and he can shoot. And Arsenal don't have many players that can do that. Mm. And if you're... I I do think one thing that has maybe held Pepe's potential back a little bit, only a little bit, because I do just think this is the player we've got, very inconsistent, frustrating, very talented, is that I never thought him and Aubameyang fitted in the same forward line, really, because they're both too similar. They don't like the build-up. They like to be on the end of things. They like to be in the area. Without Aubameyang, we've seen what Aubameyang's absence has done for Martinelli, because Martinelli has effectively taken his place in the team, um, both literally and tactically taken his place in the team. And so I, I do think there's a role for Pepe there, definitely, particularly because we're a team that struggles to score goals. Mm. Um, but also... I I think this is an interesting challenge for Arteta as well because it's clear, I think, that Pepe doesn't have a long-term future at Arsenal. Like He's not getting another contract, put it that way. Um, So this is is quite clearly a player that Arteta doesn't really want. But the, the question now is how expedient can he be with someone like this? Because to this point, there's been a very, you're either all the way in or all the way out. Um, type of approach and you can you can make arguments for that you can make arguments that Arsenal needed that at the point Arteta took over but you look at Arsenal's squad at the moment look at how many players are out on loan and look at how many of those squad players are out of contract in the summer there's going to be another big turnover Mm. coming this summer but it's going to be in like the second string so what fascinates me is who comes in to replace Elneny Chambers Maitland-Niles Inketia players like that yeah and how are they managed? Are they managed in a very, actually, there's a very, there's a real like cordon sanitaire around this starting <laughs> 11. You're yeah. going to be on the bet. And like, is it realistic to manage 25 players with a, you're either all the way in or all the way out? Like anyone that's worked in any company or managed any team of any size will know 
you will have people in your team who, you know, they might be looking around for another job. They might just be there because, you know, it's all right. But if I get a better offer, I, like it's not possible to have a big team full of everyone being completely and utterly on board unless you're somewhere like Manchester City um, or a massive corporation or something like that. You have those yeah. like floating voters and, and a squad has those as well. And I'm fascinated to see how Arteta, once he gets more of the squad players maybe he wants rather than the ones he inherited, how does he manage those people? Is it still, you know, you're either in or you're out or does he allow some flex for some of those grey areas. Yeah. And I think Pepe is a very interesting challenge there because he's banished Aubameyang, possibly justifiably, but this is a player in Pepe. He hasn't done anything wrong, mm. really. He's not the player we want or need, but there isn't like a disciplinary issue or I don't think a commitment issue per se. So how does he manage this player who he needs until at least the end of the season? I think that's a fascinating part of Arteta developing as a coach and I guess as a manager. Yeah. I suppose it will depend on whether we have Europe or not and how big a squad you need and then what you actually want from uh, from your bench and from your squad. Obviously, you want depth. You want players to be able to fill in. You want, for example, for there not to be, like when you don't have Tommy Asu, like the drop-off is too big. You know, and we've seen this season with Tierney and Tavares where that drop-off, you know, it's not quite there. There is a, they're closer together and you could make a case for for uh, Tavares starting some games perhaps or at least being a, a, a replacement for Tierney in some games. Whereas when Tommy Asu is out, it's, it's um, yeah, it's a bit of a disaster. And then it depends what you want to be able to do in terms of variety. You know, when you when you approach the game and how you approach games and how you how you seek to change games, because I don't think that's something we're quite capable of at the moment, certainly not in the last few weeks because of all the absences we've had for all the various reasons. But when you do have a very small squad, it means that your your ability to change a game or to make tactical tweaks within a game is quite limited as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things we saw in the Burnley game as well is because the thing is Arteta doesn't like to change his system. Mm. Um, he'll change the players within it. So against Burnley, putting Nketiah on to play Smith-Rowe's role, I mean, doesn't work. No. Like in, in those circumstances, for me, you either go 4-4-2 and put Nketiah up front or you don't bother, um, really, ideally. Um, so it, it, it's sometimes complicated because he doesn't like to change the system. Now, you can still have players who do different things within that system. For example, if we still had him, Joe Willock, might be someone to throw on from the bench because he'll do something very different to Granite Xhaka without actually changing the system. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a bit of that going on. Also, it will depend on you know whether we're in Europe and if we are, which European competition are we in? Because mm. if we were in the Europa League this year, Tavares, Lukonga, you know, two players he did buy as up and coming squad players, they'd have a, they'd have more football. I mean, Lukonga's had plenty, but. Mm. He'd have been eased in more. He'd have another six games. Tavares would have another six games under his belt. So, you know, but then if we're in the Champions League, uh, which fingers crossed um, we could be, mm. we're not going to be rotating. We're not going to be playing Tavares and the Conga in the Champions League. We're going to need to be able to, to rotate. And really, that's the future Arsenal should prepare for. They should prepare for the Champions League and they should prepare for players who are interchangeable rather than... Mm. I guess, squad players. But then that's, that will throw up another challenge for Arteta about about keeping all of those players happy. And 
will he be able to flex his approach to do so? Uh, maybe he will, but but that's just not a challenge he's had so far. Yeah. So there's there's a lot that goes into it, and obviously if we end up in the Champions League, you know Arsenal should be able to afford a slightly better quality um, of squad player. It also depends what's coming through from the academy as well, whether there's anyone uh, you know like Hutchinson for uh, Hutchinson rather, mm. for example, can he be a squad player next year? Can he perhaps do that role that Reese Nelson was doing? last year you know what's coming up so there's yeah. there's a lot of things to kind of to consider but really i think what arteta will want and what uh you know being in the top four would probably give us the money for is well actually i'm not buying you to be a squad player and and probably a good example of that maybe not immediately but assuming saliba comes back you know saliba versus ben white that that could be if saliba lives up to his potential that could be big competition and the sort of competition you should see at a big team yeah. again it would be very interesting to see how he handled those types of situations yeah no Aubameyang it seems on the trip to Dubai what, what's your gut feeling on this is it just a case that we're not bringing him because we're trying to move him on before the end of the window we don't want to complicate it by bringing him all the way to Dubai. And if something happens and he needs to do a medical or needs to go somewhere to do it, it becomes, uh, you know, problematic. Um, but if, for example, we went beyond the deadline and nothing happened, there is a way back, perhaps. This might be a, a, a slightly specific thing, a slightly specific omission. Or does the fact that he is not even involved on this warm weather trip at all basically tell you that whether he leaves or not before the end of the window, his his Arsenal goose is basically cooked? He's done, I think. Yeah, I think all the evidence um, from what we've seen from Arteta... Um, kind of shows us that he's done. Also, you know, the the biggest kind of um, the, or the most solid link at the moment is to a club in Saudi Arabia. I mean, he'd be better off in Dubai <laughs> if, yeah. if he needs to like race across and do a medical or, you know, Dubai. It, it's, you know, Dubai is a bit of a hub, right? That a, yeah. a lot of people know about. Like, I'm pretty sure he could do a medical in Dubai um, without too many problems. Um, he could certainly get get across to Saudi. Uh, quickly enough if he needed to from there. I, I think everything points to the fact that he's done um, because otherwise with the way the striker situation is, you know, there is, obviously we don't know exactly what's happened here, but... It's got to have think, been serious, right? Yeah, yeah, because Arsenal are in a situation where they need a striker very, very badly. Yeah. And they've actually got one. And what's really weird is I was thinking about this yesterday. If Aubameyang was at another club... We'd probably be interested in this. Yeah, we'd it's a short-term deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'd probably go. Can we get a Bamiang on loan for? Let's say he was at Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel had just kicked him out. Mm. You know, I, I mean, Chelsea probably wouldn't give him to us. But no, I, I know, know what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. at Juve or something. You'd probably look at a Bamiang and go, "Yeah, we could get him on loan for six months. That'd, that'd fill yeah, our yeah, hole." Yeah. So it's like it's really kind of ironic that we're, we're looking for a striker when we've got one. Um, of, of this kind of quality and, and, and with this kind of record. But no, I, I think he's he's very clearly done. Um, you know, I, I guess I've had reservations about the way that Arteta's managed some of these situations, albeit I don't have all the details. And I think I've said before, I've been a manager before in my career and I was an awful one. So I'm very <laughs> like, I'm very dubious about like doubting how other people manage people because I was very bad at it. But um 
you know, there, there has to have been something pretty serious to have gone on here. And that being the case, you know, I think everything just points to, you know, him being at like Jack Wilshere has gone to Dubai, right? And he might have to go and do a medical, yeah. um, albeit he's not within the transfer window. So sure. there, there's not the same um, time pressure. But I think if Jack Wilshere is going to Dubai and Aubameyang isn't, I think that yeah. tells you everything. I mean, you don't get... Stuff happens at football clubs all the time. Players have disciplinary breaches of varying degrees constantly. There are things that happen. You know, we've we've seen the, the stuff do the rounds, you know, in the dressing room. The, there are the rules and regulations. So if you're late for training, remember Per Mertesacker used to do the fines. Like if you leave your towel on the ground, you get a fine. If you're late, you get a fine. You know, if you don't do whatever in training, if you don't run around the pit, you know, you get a fine and all those fines go into a thing. And the, these are small little disciplinary things. And I think um, timekeeping is one which I guess can frustrate people, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not it's not so disrespectful that that it warrants a player losing the captaincy and being sidelined for the best part of two months. Like mm-hmm. I don't think that kind of disciplinary action comes from just tardiness, you know. So that. That's where we're obviously in the dark. And I, I have to say, um, football being the kind of industry that it is, that it, whatever it is has been kept under wraps for this long is is quite surprising in a way because common sense tells you it's something serious. Players will know. Staff will know. There's got to be the information out there somewhere but it's not been made public. And that, I think, for us as fans, trying to understand why we're in this situation when we need a striker, but there's Aubameyang, fading star, yes, but still a very capable centre forward. And like you say, you know, if we could get Aubameyang on loan for six months between now and the end of the season from another club, we'd be going, Jesus, of course you would do it. So all of that just tells you that there's something way, way more going on with this than, than we know right now anyway. Yeah, and the statement that Arsenal put out when he was stripped of the captaincy, you know, did it refer to like a number of indiscretions? His latest disciplinary. His latest, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, my best guess is that tardiness was a consistent issue, and then you know Arteta's patience snapped, and then maybe after that, Aubameyang didn't react very well to that because you know it came. It was a few days later, wasn't Mm. it, that the captaincy was stripped? So, I, I guess that was the real flashpoint, but. That's just my best guess, but absolutely. And I mean, the other thing is, it strikes me that Aubameyang's quite popular within the squad. And what's um, interesting is that from what I can see, the spirit of the squad hasn't really been altered mm-hmm. um, as a result of this. So again, inferring, but it doesn't seem like anyone's thought, oh my God, he's really been, he's been done bad here. Yeah, um, let's go out in sympathy strike and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 and that's that's one of the interest. One of the the things that's really interesting me about the last year or so is that the players seem, at least the players that are on the boat, as it were, seem you know very behind Arteta mm. even during the bad periods. And then you've got this thing where the fans have felt closer to the team, but without Arteta himself being necessarily like the rallying point for that, like. I don't think he's unpopular, but I don't think he's popular either. And yet all of this seems to have happened coalesced around him. Mm. Um, but he seems to be, I don't think popular is the right word, but he seems to have the backing of the players. And this has happened a couple yeah. of times now. And it doesn't seem to have put 
anyone's nose out of joint. Maybe it has, and those are the players that are just like gone. That are, yeah, that are bad. Maybe maybe Ainsley Maitland Niles was really upset about Genduzi or something, and that's why <laughs> he spent one of his like six month periods out of the yeah, team or something. We true. don't know, but. <laughs> It's quite interesting how like unification has happened around Arteta, mm. despite all this kind of tumult, all the, the the fact that he hasn't got the total backing of the fans. I don't think. No, I don't think he doesn't have the backing of the fans either. I think there's still a kind of sense of mm, let's wait and see here. So, you know, it, I guess from a cultural or disciplinary perspective, I don't think that anything he has done has like altered like has has caused anything of of like a fallout really um you can really all you can question is well could we have just done with these players yeah could we have just done with Mesut Ozil for that few months could yeah. we just do with a Bamiang now I think that's really the only question I don't think these hard lines he's taken yeah have really impacted um, anything else? I think the the interesting aspect of that is that I, the, the obvious answer is yes. When it comes to could we have done with these players? Could we have done with Mesut Ozil when he was out of the team um, in that six month period, which you know was in line? I'm not saying he would have been the difference maker and everything would have been amazing, but in that period when Arsenal lacked a creative player, it turned around when we brought in a a creative player. Now Smith Rowe and Ozil not the same players, but it sort of filled the gap there, you know? We could do, but I'm I'm sort of loath to imagine why any manager would just cut off his nose to spite his face when here's what your team needs, here's what you have, who's been sidelined for reasons we don't know and don't understand, but, uh, you know, now I'm just not going to do it because something petty happens. So this is why I think, you know, bits and pieces that have gone on at Arsenal have been, have been fairly serious behind the scenes. I mean, speaking of Arteta, you referenced it at the start. He was in Denver this week. So I guess pretty much straight after the um, Burnley game, he took a transatlantic flight, went to Denver to watch Colorado Avalanche. Stan Kroenke was there. I assume Josh was not too far away. I don't think he went there to talk about or watch a, a, an ice hockey game. You know, I, I, you know, particularly with Dubai coming up. If you're going to Dubai on Thursday, you know, the last thing you need is a, even if you're in first class, a transatlantic flight, you know. So does that give you some confidence that 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 meeting between the manager and the owners is about what needs to be done between now and the end of the season? Because they can have conversations on fucking zoom and they could, they're in their whatsapp group we know you could easily just send a group text and go look we really need some players here give us some money but this the face-to-face -face thing does it suggest that that maybe he's going there to try and to try and convince them or or to lay out a case for why we should do something now rather than the summer 100% it has to be about that what tone those conversations take yeah, whether yeah. it's yeah. yeah whether it's Arteta going with the begging bowl and going please for the love of God give us some money or whether it's a more straightforward well look it's the last week of the transfer window mm. I think we all know by now who our main target was and I think we all know by now that it's not happening so there, there was probably an agreement at the beginning of January like look, Vlavic, let's go all in for Vlavic. And if it hasn't happened by, you know, that burn, like I'm sure there was a ring around the Burnley 
game in the calendar. Mm. If it hasn't happened by then, let's reconvene and talk about what the other targets are, what they might cost, what we might be willing to go to um, in each scenario. And then we've, we've given ourselves the last week of the window to do something, which, which to me sounds eminently sensible. Um, really, so it it just one hundred percent. Why else would Arteta be going in late January? I mean, I appreciate there's a break in the fixture list, but you're right. Like you don't go over in person um, for 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 like any other reason. Basically, yeah. at the end of January, it's definitely a let's take stock. We know for pretty much a bona fide fact. Well, the manager himself has said they're trying to do business. They're trying to do stuff. So like. That, that has to be what mm. this is about. And, you know, you, you could speculate even more wildly, right? And I was, again, imagining a complete hypothetical the other day about what, what would it be like if, I'm sure, like, the conversations are more nuanced than this, but if Arteta says, look, I need, like, 70 million for this striker, and that might be more than we have, but I think that will get us into the top four. Mm. And what if, like, Josh and Stan say in response to that, okay, we'll sanction that, but obviously you've got contract talks coming up, and if we buy the guy and you don't get in the top four, that might yeah. impact your contract talks. And, again, complete speculation. Sure. But, it, uh, like, what if you were Arteta, what would you do in that scenario if the manager, if the owner said, okay, we'll go to it, but if you don't get top four... That, you know, your contract's gone. It's it's an interesting thing to consider, isn't it? Because you're making a case that uh, I really do think there is an opportunity here for Arsenal in this window and, and particularly where we've got ourselves this season, which is, I suppose, a little bit ahead of where we thought we might be. Maybe not too far ahead, but but certainly, you know, when we're sitting here with half a season gone and, and like to say that top four is in our hands with 17 games to go is, is over-egging the pudding a little bit. But, you know, it is there. Um, we don't have any distractions. We do have these games. We've shown in the first half of the season that with the players that we have, albeit mm. with Aubameyang sidelined a bit now, but you know we had a good run when Aubameyang was, was taken out of the team. Um, we scored a lot of goals, won a lot of Premier League points. So with the players we have, we are capable of getting results against a lot of the teams in this league. So the case yeah. might be we have this opportunity now to take, if not quite a shortcut to where we want to be, but it presents an opportunity that we can't let pass us by. And the re, uh, what we need to really make it happen is the striker. Because we have a big problem at centre forward. There's no two ways about it. We have a big, big problem. Um, Lacazette has two non-penalty goals this season. Eddie doesn't have a Premier League goal since last April. I can project as much as I want onto Gabriel Martinelli as a potential centre forward, and I do think that there's something to that. But at this point, is it is it? Can you put that kind of burden on a young guy? Um, you know, there's talk of well, you could use Pepe there. I'm not quite sure. We may have to find an internal solution, but whether we do or we don't, we still have that issue to solve at, at centre forward. Mm. And I think that's going to be a, a major part of, of what those um, discussions were. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's there's a couple of other things that might go into it. I mean, if you're Arteta, let's say he is making a case, mm. you know, he could say, well, look, look at all these players that I went out, I, me and Edu went out and got whoever in, in the summer and look at the difference they made. Yeah. And like, you know, play on that kind of trust, I guess, yeah, element yeah, yeah. and say, we spent the money in the summer 
and it brought us along, right? So like I can point to a bit of a track record there. Of course, the other thing the discussion might be about is it might be about Aubameyang because if I'm Stan Kroenke at the moment, one of the questions I probably would ask Mikel Arteta and Edu is, okay, you asked me to go to like these wages for Willian and then you got rid of him mm. after a year. We've got a £300,000 a week striker that you don't want to use. Uh, what the hell has he done? <laughs> yeah. Because if I if I own Arsenal at the moment, I'd, I'd be like, why are we paying this for someone that we don't want to use? Like, what has he done that means that all of that money is flying out of the door every month? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be part of it as well. It could be a kind of, can you not patch it up with him? And, and you know, that might be a case mm. that Arteta's making as well. So there's there's plenty to discuss in and around that. But I think even beyond what you think of Arteta as a coach, like that that striker thing, it is just a hole in the team. Even with Aubameyang there, yeah. it's a hole because Lacazette and Nketiah are going in the summer. So again, if you're Arteta, you're probably saying, well, look, if not now, we have to do it in the summer anyway. Yeah. And actually, we, we probably need to buy two strikers anyway. So why not one now and one in the summer? Like, that, that, mm. that makes a lot of sense, actually, even if we weren't in this position in the league. But, you know, if we get one of them in now, we've got a much better chance mm. of finishing in the top four than if we leave them both to the summer. So we've got two players going. And... Again, if I was the owner of Arsenal, I'd probably say, well, why have we got two strikers whose contracts are running out this summer? Like, what the hell's going on over there? Well, that- you know, he, he was the one who sanctioned the deal for Lacazette and then sanctioned yep. the deal for Aubameyang six months later. And look, the reality is that we don't want to give Lacazette another contract. So um, I, I do feel like uh, clearly a lot of our contract management and how players leave this club is 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 an ongoing issue uh, mm-hmm. that we need to do better at. Um, there's no two ways about that. You know, we can't keep paying players to go away or cancelling contracts. And we also need to be... Um, we maybe need to hurt ourselves from time to time or at least hurt the fan base from time to time by selling a player that maybe people don't want to sell. But... Mm-hmm. Is that preferable um, than letting that player leave for free? Because you still have to replace the the player with a transfer fee and wages. Um, so if you get something for a guy, maybe you don't want to let him go, but you know you can make a plan to to replace him. And I'm curious to see what way they might approach this striker thing now, because it does seem like Vlavic was the main target. He was the number one guy. And if we could get him in this window, and there were reasons why I think they made the approach because of his contractual situation at Fiorentina, his value is probably as high to Fiorentina as it's going to be. And now they've got to deal with Juventus paying them, you know, 50p a week for 3 trillion years or however the fuck they finance their deals, you know. But is the... Are, are the target lists so defined that, you know, we've got, let's say, three or four names on our A striker list and three or four names on our B striker list? Do we now try for another A striker or would it be easier to go to the B list and get somebody who isn't quite at that level, but who next season will be a decent squad player um, and in the short term, probably somebody who could do more for us than than Eddie or, or Lacazette? 
Yeah, and and actually, if you look at it, we're, we're talking about Aubameyang here. He he only had like four goals, didn't he? In in four the first Premier half. League goals, yeah. Yeah, in the first half of the season, and and we're still where we are mm. with that. So like, obviously, the more goals a new striker could yeah. score, the better. But we, you know, in in real terms, in terms of what's happened so far this season, not asking them to replace an awful lot. So. And and I think we're seeing now in some of the the, the more well informed rumours from people who are on the Arsenal beat, like you know the links with um, who's the guy PSV Cody, I want to say Gaz like Gazprom. Is yeah, the only word that, Gak, is it Gak, Gakpo or yeah Cody Gak? Oh, I can't remember Cody Gakpo. Cody Gakpo. Okay, right. Who who I'd never heard of before this morning, but. You know, like something like that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I, I'm, I'm told that he plays in both wide positions as well. Mm. And, you know, yeah, may, maybe a striker, like a striker, maybe a forward like that who, you know, can be a bit of a winger as well, which, yeah. which actually I think is a smart way of buying a backup striker, um, potentially, because if you've got your backup striker who can do other things and mm. get minutes elsewhere, I, I think that makes quite a lot of sense as well. So I, my sense is that, um, from what we're reading is that Arsenal have like, right, draw a line under Vlavic, not happening. We maybe probably set a deadline, gone, right, there's a week to go now, not mm. happening, to the B list it is. Uh, otherwise, like, wouldn't we still be going for Vlavic or, you know, like, or nothing would be, it would be, well, that's it, we didn't get him. So yeah. I, I get the sense that wheels are turning in the background and, you know, um, for example, Arsenal not going for Bruno Guimaraes. Now, I know this is playing well. Might as well talk about him now. Yeah, my, I, I was going to ask you about midfield. You know, we've talked about strikers, yeah. so we've done that. But yeah, midfield, Bruno. A lot of a lot of Arsenal fans on Twitter, I guess, a little bit upset. I, I know mm-hmm. that that's our specialty as Arsenal fans online is to get upset about all kinds of things and about all kinds of players. But you can see um, that there is a need also in in midfield. Um, your thoughts on? on that situation because it doesn't seem I feel like given the relationship between Edu and the agents um, if that was a deal that we wanted to get done we could probably do it at the expense of Newcastle even if Newcastle are going to offer a load more money which you know is the only way they're going to attract players at this point yeah, yeah. So he's 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 a really good player, um, a player I, I personally of, of what I've said. I don't watch Leon every week, but of, mm. of what I've seen um, of him, like internationally, player I really like, player I think um, would kind of suit us. And like the only reason I can think that Arsenal have not bitten on that. I mean, to be fair, I think Arsenal have had other chances um, to try and buy this player. So that, you know, I think we could assume that there's a reasonable level of doubt or they don't quite think he's, he's quite what they want. Um, you know, that, that's a perfectly acceptable (laughs) kind of, we've looked at this player, we think, "Mm, no, not at that price. Uh, And Mm. that's kind of perfectly reasonable. Um, but for me, and, and also like the midfield, I think is less urgent because we will get Elneny back. We'll have Elneny, Lukonga, Xhaka, party, like, that that's fine till the end of the season. We'd we'd all like maybe a, a you know an upgrade on two of those players, mm-hmm. um, but that that will keep until the summer, I think. And and the, just the big reason I can think of that we haven't really gone after Bruno, and that a line seems to have been drawn under the Artur rumours as well, is because they're they're making room for the striker. 
And if they're going to do that, they probably know that a fair bit of resource is going to go on that. And at this stage, they're probably thinking, if we spend 40 million on Bruno, that's it for the striker. Really. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. It's our budget for the striker. And that's what we really need at the moment. And personally, I'd, I'd hold a lot of truck with that. Even if the striker deal doesn't come off, um, which would obviously be a massive shame, you know, it would it would still be the right call, I think. Like, if this was all happening on the final day of the window and mm. we knew the striker wasn't coming in, I wouldn't be surprised if we went for Bruno. We saw something similar to this when we bought Party, right? It was it was our that we were after. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. whole summer. That's who we wanted. And I think we wanted Party as well, but probably thought we can't get both. And then on the final day, we just went, okay, Hussein Auer, not happening. Let's get Party. Like, I'm sure a week on in this time or a few days on in this timeline, if Arsenal with 48 hours to go don't have a good lead on a striker and Newcastle going for Bruno, I think Arsenal might go for it mm. and they might say, okay, all right, we're not getting the striker, but let's let's get this guy to strengthen the midfield. But I think at the moment they don't want to cut off their options in terms of a striker, and and I and I I think that definitely makes a lot of sense whether they get the striker or not mm. that that for me is the right call I mean there's some talk of Douglas Louise from Aston Villa as well another one with um, pretty much the, the same agent uh, I'm I you know we talk about what Stan Kroenke might say uh, I wonder if you know they come to him and say we need this player and he goes who's the agent yeah. Uh, oh, it's the guy who brought us Willian and David Luiz. And Pablo. you might remember me from previous <laughs> yeah, transfer. Exactly. He might be like, uh, you know what, guys? You might want to, you know, look for a player from a different stable here. But you know, if they like the player, I guess they can live with the agent, and, and that relationship should be should be okay. I did slightly wonder about the David Ornstein report about. Um, I know you pronounced it in the um, in the Portuguese language way, but <laughs> Arthur, Arthur. I always like the Brazilian guys with um, with with English names, Fred and Alf and Bill it's, and stuff. You know, it's had had my daughter been a boy, we would we would have called her Arthur. Arthur. Um, okay. So yeah, there you go. Well, Arthur, we want him for six months. They want to give him to us for eighteen months with an option. And Edu doesn't smell good, does it? Doesn't smell good, no. <laughs> but I mean, we want to we want a midfielder for six months, and the technical director acquiesces to a deal which sees him come in for eighteen months, which then, in some ways, is going to inhibit what you can do in midfield next year. Do you worry at all about that, or is that just maybe a little bit of desperation that we want to get something done? So okay. But, I mean, taking a player for a whole season that you don't really see as a long-term option doesn't make a lot of sense. No. Well, first off on this deal, like, I I say I don't like the player. I, I don't think the player would be – I don't think he'd be a fit for the Premier League. Mm. Um, very, very talented player. Um, saw a lot of him in Brazil, but neither of his European moves have worked. Um, they tried to build the national team midfield around him a couple of years ago, now doesn't get in the squad. What does that tell you? Is um, he is he analogous to anybody that we've got in the squad at the moment or is he sort of his own beast? I, I mean, he's most analogous to Xhaka, um, right. I think. He, he's right-footed. In fact, he's very right-footed. He's very one-footed. So, I mean, it's a different foot, but yeah, <laughs> similar yeah, yeah. to Xhaka. He's, he's not the quickest in transition. So <laughs> I, I guess you could say he's, he's a bit more analogous to Xhaka. Sli slightly different, like 
got a bit more of a dribble on him, I'd say. Um, but I just think he'd, he'd struggle intensity-wise. But I think if you're trying to negotiate a transfer where you only want the guy for six months and the seller goes, no, take him for 18 months, and you go, no, we only want him for six months. I mean, mm. that that's not a good transfer to do. No. <laughs> when you only want him for six months and the people you're getting him from insist you take him for longer, like that means that there's reluctance on both sides. Basically, yeah. that means that both sides doubt the player effectively. I, I could live with it for six months, but I, you know, I it, it would be a bit Denis Suarez, I think, um, yeah. frankly, and and wouldn't really get us anywhere. And, and soon enough, I think we'll have four central midfielders anyway. And I'm, I'm not sure he'd break in past that Xhaka party um, combo. And if we're buying a midfielder, for me, it has to be Xhaka replacement. That's what we have to be buying. Um, next, and mm. I, I don't think that we, I don't think he's good enough for that, frankly. Right. But also with the, with the Edu thing, it, again, it depends on the tone of it all. If it is Edu wanted this guy for eighteen months, and like yeah. people disagree with him, it doesn't really sound like that to me, though. Because if Arsenal have spent the last few weeks saying six months, six months, six months, six months, it sounds to me, and I, I'm I'm inferring here, I don't know, but it sounds a bit more like. Edu's gone back and said, look, they've said firmly, has to be 18 months if it's going to happen. So it's either 18 months or nothing. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not convinced, uh, and I'm not casting any aspersions on David's reporting here, but there's a bit of a gap there about how, like the tone of that conversation. Is it Edu went back and said, yes, I think we should get this guy for 18 months. Contrary to what I've been trying to negotiate for the last fortnight, um, I've changed my mind. Or is it like a reluctant, look, guys... They're not going to six months. What do you reckon? 18 months or nothing? Like, I, I mm. think that sounds a little bit more likely than, like, it doesn't, that nothing in this suggests to me that Edu has strongly advocated for 18 months. Otherwise, the deal would have been done straight away. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Just very finally, um, it's very difficult to make predictions about what's going to happen between now and then, but my, my gut feeling and my gut um, at my age is often telling me things that it shouldn't, but um, the fact that we have been making space in the squad this month, Maitland-Niles gone, Kalasinac gone, Pablo Marie gone, somebody else as well, I can't remember. Um, you know, we've, we've let players go. We've let them go out on loan. We've probably, you know, made room for our non-homegrown contingent. Arteta meeting Kroenke in Denver. All of those things make me think that something is going to happen between now and, and the deadline. So mm -hmm. um, would it be a big surprise? For me, it would be a big surprise if nothing happened. Yep. Um, as to what exactly will happen, I'm not quite sure. It'll be either something quite underwhelming or something like, whoa, how the fuck did we do that? But I, I would be really, really surprised if we got to, and these are famous last words, I know, but like if we got to Monday night and nobody had come into this squad, I would be really surprised. I, I would as well. My my prediction is plan B striker mm. will happen. Maybe even, a, you know, like, I, I know I read um, that we were offered uh, Jovic on loan. Um, that that might be, for example, that might be like a bit plan C. That might be, okay, let's leave that iron in the fire mm. and with 48 hours to go, if there's nothing else, let's like pull the trigger on that one. Um, so it might be something like that. But yeah, my, my prediction would be plan B striker will come in. I'm, I don't think a midfielder will. 
unless I only think the midfielder will happen if the striker doesn't happen. Right. Essentially. So I, I think almost certainly only one of those pieces will come in. I can't see a world where we get the striker and then we spend because I, I think the midfielder, it's going to have to be like a reasonably big spend mm. because unless it's the Elneny replacement, I guess, rather than the Xhaka replacement, but it strikes oh, me. Why, why would next... you do that in, in January, really? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. So like maybe if on the final day there is absolutely nothing doing with the striker, then maybe we do like the Thomas party thing and mm. just go, okay, let's, let's just go and get that guy because yeah. uh, we want him as well. But yeah, I'm, Prediction, I think the plan B striker uh, in some form or other will happen. I do think we'll get a, a forward in, whether whether it's someone on loan or whether it's someone we're delighted with or whether it's someone who costs a lot of money. I, I don't really know. I don't think Arsenal know, but I think they know that they have to make something happen yeah. in that area. And even if there is a slight air of desperation, because we need, like, Obviously, we shouldn't do like the Lacazette followed by a Bamiang thing again. No. But like, you know, as, as I think you and James have said, there's a need for two strikers there. Mm. So I think you go, okay, we can go for we can go for like the big guy in the summer. But let's at least get that that Plan B locked down. And 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 I do think that that will happen. Yeah, I mean, just very quickly you know your your ability to get the big guy in the summer is much improved if you've got european slash champions league football hence the need to address the the key issue in the squad uh, which is up front at this moment in time so yeah i i think it'll be one uh one in as well um we won't have too long to wait of course uh transfer deadline is monday night for now though we'll leave it there tim thanks very much indeed my pleasure as always here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Thank you very much indeed to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto, at Stilberto. His weekly column is on Arsblog every Thursday uh, at arsblog.com and you will find everything you need to know about the Arsenal women over on Arsblog News. Tim is doing the business there. So if you want to keep up with the Arsenal women, that is the place to be. Right. Uh, I'm not going to drag this out anymore. We've had a good conversation. We want to save some stuff for Monday for the Arscast Extra. James and I will be doing an Arscast Extra on Monday on Transfer Deadline Day. However, next week we will have a Patreon-exclusive post-Transfer Deadline Day podcast to talk about all the things that happened or, indeed, all the nothing that happened. 
one way or the other, we will have a podcast on Patreon. James and I will also have an episode of Waffle on Patreon next week. That is a podcast where we answer questions that our Patreon members give us about anything and everything except Arsenal. So if you're not already a member, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. So there you go. Charge your batteries. Get ready for Monday. Get ready for transfer deadline day. Get ready for whatever happens or doesn't happen. And we will talk to you about it all next week. For now, though, thank you very much indeed for listening. As always, it's much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye bye. Here at FIFA, our job is to bring football to everybody. This is why we are going to have World Cup every six months. If we have World Cup every six months, more opportunities for the game and for the people. For example, if we have World Cup every six months, more people can die building stadiums to host the games. Also, think of the benefit World Cup every six months will bring to the ticket printing industry, one which need our support so, so much. They can print thousands, thousands more tickets, all of which are so expensive they are beyond the reach of normal football fans. <laughs> World Cup every six months also, very important, give dignity, dignity to the poor people on the planet because they can look at us in FIFA with our private jet and children in private school, dinners of lobster and fine wine, pockets full of cash from unknown sources and access to health care and they decide, hey, I don't want to be refugee no more. These people are doing life much better than I ever could. So, to conclude, World Cup every six-month fantastic idea for FIFA. No good idea for anybody else, but we don't give a shit about you anyway. So go fuck yourselves. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.